This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanem. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a fantastic show today. But before we begin, we want to wish all of our brothers and sisters Ramadan Karim. This is the start of the holiest uh, month in Islam. And for our brothers and sisters, Ramadan Karim and wishing you a blessed uh, month. But in the context of that, Jamal, we, we are also face-to-face with a contemporary catastrophe. And the title of our show today is The Palestinian Nekba, The Catastrophe That Never Ended. And we're now in the 70th year of the Palestinian catastrophe where over 500 Palestinian villages were depopulated, you know, from 1947 to 1949, and 800,000 Palestinians were forcibly removed from their homes and villages. So we're in year 70, and the occupation of Palestine continues. And not it doesn't just continue, but it continues with the colonial viciousness that we saw in the last few days in Gaza. Just in this last episode where 60 people were brutally murdered, we could say assassinated, because of the sniper fire that's used to target and mark unarmed Palestinian civilians who are protesting their right to protest, and thousands were injured. So we're going to be talking about that today. We're very lucky, as usual, to have one of our special guests in studio with us, Professor Rabab Abdulhadi, one of the foremost scholars on Palestine. And uh, I know you wanted to say something about that. Well, I just want to remind for our listeners who are not familiar with the Nakba, uh, because not everyone, like, we can't assume everyone understands. Well, if there are uh, listeners, they should, right? Well, you know, for those who are joining us, maybe new, and listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM, for seven decades now, Palestinians have commemorated the Nakba, or catastrophe. Nakba is the Arabic word for catastrophe, when the ethnic cleansing of more than 700,000 Palestinians took place along, the, along with the destruction of more than 500 villages. So when you take that into account, for a, such a small country, it's, it's huge. So the Nakba commemoration this year marks 70 years of disposition of the refugees, numbering in the millions who are still waiting for their right of return. And that's a key thing, al-awda, uh, or the right of return, which is the, uh, the right of, for every Palestinian to go back to their, to their home. And uh, as you've mentioned, just when we started talking about our title, the Nakba has really never ended. And so Professor Rabab Abdelhadi why and how? I think, uh, thank you first, first for having me, I, and thank you for having this program and focusing on uh, Nakba, as I know you always do. I think it's also, um, uh, maybe we should start by thinking about the translation of the word Nakba yeah. in terms of catastrophe, because some people think that catastrophe is a natural disaster. And this was not a natural disaster. This was human-made. The uh, Nakba, the way Palestinians in Takabu, 
where actually the whole life was disruptive. Everything about Palestine was was destroyed, whether it, you're talking about the people getting displaced, you're talking about over four, 531 villages actually were documented to have been destroyed by Dr. Salman Abu Sitta and right. uh, Khalil Tafakji. Yes. Many, many uh, map, uh, geographers, actually Palestinian geographers have done that. And many people have documented at least 531 villages. And the ones that were not destroyed were turned like Ayn Hod, for example, the village we, we, we visit and we visit all the time and we visit the, the original inhabitants who are living in what is called the new Ayn Hod, which is actually not the new Ayn Hod, but it's the displaced. Um, and this, these are part of the 250,000 Palestinians internally displaced Palestinians inside Israel. This is part of the Palestinian population of the 150,000 Palestinians whom Israel and the Zionist movement was not able to, to expel That's in right. 1948. They, 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 they remained and they were placed under military curfew from 1948 to 1966. These are people who were supposedly given citizenship and supposedly the only democratic Jewish state in the world. Right. And I think it's really important to keep in mind to keep that in mind. So to get to uh, many of them continue to be internally displaced. Two hundred fifty thousand continue to be internally displaced until today. So we're not even before we start talking about what's going on in, in the West Bank, what's going on in fifty nine refugee camps throughout. Many of them some were destroyed, like Tel Zatar in nineteen seventy six. The camp doesn't doesn't exist anymore. Right. In Lebanon during the Lebanese civil war that was destroyed by the Falange. And, but I think it's really, and, and before we even talk about the great march of, march of return in Gaza, or the five million plus Palestinian refugees, also we really need to remember what is happening with Palestinians inside Israel. That's so right. So you have, you have one, you have all these the, the, the internally displaced, two, you have the communities in Nakab that are supposed to be unrecognized villages that Israel refuses to recognize and refuses to give them water, electricity, power, schools, burial grounds, any kind of services that the state is, is supposed to be doing. And we visited one of the, we visited many, but one of them is Umm al-Hiran that has been the, the, the given so many demolition orders and that Israel wants to remove its citizens to a new quote-unquote settlement to basically destroy their way That's of right. life and, and their natural inhabitants of everything and build in its place a settlement called Hiran, funded by the Jewish National Fund with tax dollars of people here, including people in the Bay Area. Or if you talk about the Galilee, and we were, when we were in Palestine, we actually ended our, our trip to Palestine on the day of the land, March 30th, which was wow. the beginning of the Great March of Return. And we, we went and joined Palestinians in the 48 areas, marching from Sakhnin to Arabe, which was the original day of the land in 1976, which was organized by Lejnet al-Mutaba' al-Ulya, which is the, the Palestinian follow-up committee that continued to protest Israel confiscation, continued confiscation of land, again, of Palestinians who as Israeli citizens. So when Gaza started the Great March of Return in Gaza, it was beginning, symbolizing and acknowledging the fact that there are lands that continue to be destroyed inside Israel among Palestinians in the 48, That's using right. that as an anchoring ground of the March 30th, the day of the land, and talking about the land 
from that was taken over through the Judaization and Zionization project from the beginning of the Zionist project that actually expedited after the partition plan when, when actually uh, Zionists only control 6% of the land of Palestine. Okay, That's and, then, right. and then now they control about 93, 94% exactly. the Jewish National Fund, which is supposed to actually not belong to even Israel. This is supposed to belong to the Jewish community of the world, and we know many Jews contest that. But it is that's where it began in the in, in March 30th, and it continued to talk about the Nakba linking the whole question of disposition, displacement, a confiscation of land, the destruction of the attempt to destroy Palestinians and erase Palestine and Palestinians from existence, destroying villages, expelling people, terrorizing and 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 committing massacres like the Deryasi massacre, which we only commemorated the 70th anniversary last month, and Babel Wad and many other massacres. So all of these attempts, one of the things that we're talking about, yes, the Nakba continues in the sense that it is, again, not a natural, it is a human-made, right. it's made by the Zionist project, but also Palestinian resistance and Palestinian insistence to stay put and continue resisting. So these are the two things that we. I think it's really important to think yeah. about the dialectic of mm -hmm. the, how they are connected together. But I, I want that's the voice of Professor Abdul Hadi, who's with us in studio. Rabab, I want to ask you specifically about the Zionist narrative, because when we look and see what happened just this last week, the, the Zionist na narrative is Israeli Independence Day. I want to ask you, I mean, to try to wrap yes. our minds as Palestinians, it's such an outrageous fabrication to say that it was independence. Mm -hmm. But I wondered if you could um, break that down for our listeners in terms of its uh, historical, uh, I mean, it's it's beyond a lie, but it's historical fabrication, let's say, that they're calling it Independence Day. What is that? Yes. What is that narrative about? Well, I think people who are uh, who are, who understand that the United States is a colonial state might understand what this means in terms of July Fourth. Exactly. Because May May fifteenth, nineteen forty eight is July 4, 1776. And it's basically a colonial, a settler colonial project that's seeking to separate from a colonial project. From an so, indigenous of, population. And so, so, so what, what you're, from an, from an indigenous perspective and from perspective of justice. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's not, um, just for like the Palestinians' indigenous uh, rights, it's not a special interest thing. It affects everybody. That's right. Whether people are affected because they are on receiving end of colonialism or they are affected because they're benefiting from colonialism or they are affected because they're standing up and saying, no, this is not okay. Either everybody is implicated, and when people say they're not implicated, they are implicated one way or other. So when you say May 15th is Israeli Independence Day, what sort of an independence you're talking about? Israel, first of all, the Zionist movement gained strength because of colonial support. If it weren't for the Balfour Declaration and the support of the British colonial authorities, not mandate, because mandate is a sanitized term, nobody mandated them actually to actually give the land of Palestine to a people who were actually settling and colonizing the land. But the British colonial authorities, is, the Zionism would have never been able to gain ground if it wasn't for the colonial, the colonial authorities in Britain and colonialism in general, including the United States and the Zionist movement and collaboration with Rhodes 
in South Africa who That's set right. up Rhodesia on many colonies around the world. This was a very, a very, very clear project. If people look at the timeline and look about where it was going, it was actually a very, a very colonial settler colonial project. And so when 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 they say Israel Independence Day, independence from what? One from co- who settler or what? colonial project is getting independence from colonial project that had no business being there in the exactly. first place. So we're talking about it similar to other ways. Not exactly. We're not conflating exactly. We want to do sort of thinking critical comparative analysis. Not exactly the same, but it is similar in the sense of kind of expansion, building. But 1776, then you can talk about manifest destiny and the U.S. expansion into the West and so on, genociding and continuing and always using the excuse of religion in order to justify the pillage. And religion has never said that, has never the Torah, the Bible, the Quran, all the religious books. There is multiple interpretations of how you can read religious texts, especially when we're talking about now today is the second day of Ramadan, the holy month of Ramadan. It's really important for us to think about what does it it mean when we what people are misusing religious texts and in very uh, I am cynically misusing it in order to perpetuate colonialism and aggression against people so I think this is I think I don't think there is any other way to think about it except for this I just want to say one more thing is that the Zionist narrative the, the colonists are always insecure Always. are always insecure and they're always claimed to be paranoid about things and so on because they don't have justice on their on their well, they, so yeah. they have to they have to by the power of the gun by the pillaging by killing by by you know outright killing like the, the massacre in Gaza we're talking about 110 people at least have been killed we're talking about 12,844 people who were injured. injured this is the most conservative estimates by the way but if you think about that that what they are trying to do they are they're always trying to get the color to acknowledge and admit. So one of the things they keep asking the Palestinians is that not just recognize Israel because the Palestinian Authority has, but actually recognizing Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state, i.e. sign on to the, to the Zionist narrative. Yeah. You're listening to the voice of Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi. This entire hour we will be talking about Al Nakba. This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM San Francisco. And I want to welcome all of you who have joined us on Facebook Live, we are getting questions from uh, Sydney, Australia. We are getting questions from Paris in France. We are getting viewers from Italy. So we're getting uh, a lot of questions from all over. One of the questions, and, and sorry I, if I can't get to all of your questions, but one of the questions uh, is about the British or uh, responsibility mm-hmm. and how does uh, England, uh, how, could it, how could we hold the UK basic, basically accountable to what happened uh, during the Nakba. And another comment from Rami in Sydney, Australia, saying that Palestinians have introduced a new word to the international lexicon, Nakba, because we're using, uh, everyone now is using the Nakba. And, uh, and Which then is actually banned in uh, the commemoration of Nakba is banned is, is in Israel. In yeah. Israel, and then the great democracy on the face right. Of the and then another one uh, mm. which we want to fast forward to the basically the Israeli propaganda or otherwise uh, called Hasbara, mm. trying to negate the peaceful. Uh, demonstrations and saying that Hamas is behind it Mm -hmm. and also the US uh, media outlets Mm -hmm. right here in the United States basically copying and pasting the Israeli narrative during their interviews Mm -hmm. 
and then we'll get back to there's another question about the first Jerusalem. question I forgot the first question about, while you got uh, the yeah answer. well I'm yeah. trying to summarize UK a bunch implicitly yeah right? I, yes. I think it's re- I will I will answer that very very briefly because we've actually spent about two years organizing around the hundredth anniversary of the Belfort Declaration right. and uh, uh, I was I had the the, the honored to be part of the International Palestinian Popular Committee uh, for the centenary of the Belfort Declaration, we actually demanded uh, apology. We demanded a retraction of the Belfort Declaration. We demanded reparations from the British because they were responsible. And the, the statement in Arabic and English for the Belfort Declaration specifically said, had the British, the colonial uh, authorities, not uh, collaborated and basically legitimized because the Belfort Declaration, what it did, one of the most important things that the Belfort Declaration did was legitimize the Zionist claim. Before that, it was a movement that was trying and it was actually not even succeeding in getting Jews That's to right. sign on. And so once the, the Belfort, the, the British government, the authorities officially came and said, we're going to give you the Belfort Declaration. Actually, the numbers, and I wasn't prepared, but I have the research and I'm more than happy to share it with the listeners if they would like to ask on your website or contact me uh, that the number of the Zion, of, of, of uh, Jewish association that started joining Zionism increased immediately after that because the British colonial authority gave an official stamp to the Zionist movement by giving the Belfort Declaration. They do bear direct responsibility. They were also colonizing Palestine at that time. Of they course. were also facilitating. If we go to the history of the 1936-39 revolt and we remember the, the massive punishment that British colonialism has inflicted on the Palestinians because they dared engage in a, in a worker strike to say that we need to stop the Judaization of land and labor, and we need to be able to have a, a lively, a, a, a dignified life. I mean, which this is, is still what, the yeah, longest which strike is, exactly. ever in yeah. the history of the history, organized labor. The longest, the longest strike in the history of the world. So the British bear direct responsibility. Yes, definitely about Nakba. And I will just say another. Uh, yeah, I mean, Intifada also entered the international lexicon. Uh, many there are many words, and it and it's about both the whole question of oppression as well as resistance. And I think it's really important as we continue talking what the Nakba means and the resistance to. Nakba means the insistence of people to stay though that continues to be and the Zionist narrative to link it up with what you were saying just earlier is that they always try to spin the Hasbara mm-hmm. in order for them to present something else and so if you think if you would allow me for a minute is sure. the way they've been presenting not only the whole the great march of Britain it's as if if, if Palestinian a group like Hamas jumps and actually supports they are damned if they do not support they are damned because they are not taking care of the people I mean if they are, if they engage in militant resistance, they are damned. If they engage in peaceful resistance, the New York Times had a whole article about uh, one of the rallies of Hamas, of, of, of the Great March of Return, which Hamas took, played a big ra- role in, but wasn't just Hamas. It was multiple uh, Palestinian organizations and groups. Everybody, everybody, everybody is participating in it. No, how could how could anybody, not just political, political and civil societies and grassroots and younger people and everybody is going. So the way it gets constructed and it and it's really, it's really insulting and it's so offensive and it's so racist that it is, A, that they had a big banner that they put in it, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, um, uh, Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela. And, and two of them advocate, advocated non, non, non-violent, peaceful, 
peaceful passive resistance actually mahatu against words passive resistance peaceful uh, resistance nelson mandela advocated armed resistance he was the chair of the anc anc had the umkuntu siswi which was the armed wing which was actually led by joslofo who was a jewish anti-zionist secretary general of the south african communist party i mean all of these things get lost on people all of these details and so they had this big banner and so the 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 the, the, the new york times comes out and say this is nothing but self-serving this is devious this is and 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 then they actually present all the protests at the great march of return oh people are picnicking and so on and if you think about it from a popular grassroots social movement perspective it shows us the depth and the extent to which the, all the population participated, that families went, and the, the young baby, the 18-month-old baby who was killed, the reason she, 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 she ended up at the borders because her uncle, who was 12-year-old, picked her up, took her there, thinking her mother had gone to the, to the uh, border. And so the whole the, 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 the construction of Palestinians going with their families, families going there, families eating with each other, families protesting with each other, families demanding the right of return. The older people are passing on the importance of the villages they came from to the younger ones, the younger ones insisting and so on. They trivialize it and they dismiss it and they construct it in simplistic tone. And then on the other hand, they say that this is threatening the security of Israel, one of the largest, strongest armies in the world, which has at least, we know, 200 nuclear weapons. They're making this big hoopla about Iran possibly uh, uh, building nuclear capacity. And they have already at least Modekhan Vanun we know that they had at least 200 nuclear We've weapons. We had them uh, yeah. on, on this show. Yeah, and, th- and this is that they keep continuing saying, oh, this is threatened and we have no choice. And then they also, the part of the ras- racist Hasbara is also blaming the victim, is that Palestinians have nobody to blame but themselves. What are we going to do if they come and storm the border? What are you going to do? All borders should be demolished anyway. Well, not, All not, walls uh, should come there down. Is no, there yeah. is no border between yeah. Gaza. I mean, Israel has, doesn't have a border. It has not actually that, yeah, exactly. declared yes, a yes. border. Border. And what's lost in the uh, in the Amer- on the American media right here is the narrative that these people have homes in Jaffa, in Haifa, and actually and Majd al Askalan, all the villages surrounding Gaza. Yeah, yeah. That you have this narrative trying to compare them, which mm. is anyway, mm. anyway, a disgusting comparison because we are against it. Trying to compare them with undocumented mm. immigrants or as they refer to illegal immigrants from Mexico coming coming to the United States, that you have someone mm. like, uh, what's her name, uh, uh, saying uh, that we should use the same methodology that mm. Israel is... Uh, in, uh, that has been using or, uh, and yeah. put... No, and Coulter. And ah. Coulter. Ah, and yeah. Coulter saying, actually, that why can't we do the same right here in the United States? In other words, why can't we put... Place you know, I want to tell you something. Yeah, yeah. At the Mexicans crossing the Jamal border. Jamal is very interesting. Uh, uh, oppressor, uh, the, the, the people who are uh, part of the oppression of, of oppression in the world, they always collaborate with each other. I remember during the eighty-seven Intifada, Israeli military was asked during Rabin, the so-called recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, who instituted the policy of might, force, and beating to break the arms of That's youth, right. Palestinian youth, to take him out of commission for six weeks until their arms heal so they won't throw stones stones at tanks 
And so what they, I remember what they were saying, the, 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 the media was asking the Israeli military, why aren't you using water cannons? They said, we don't have any more. We send them all to South Africa. <laughs> so they were, I'm, I'm, I, Bragging I, about they it. were sending to South Africa so that the, the South African apartheid regime would be sub, basically suppressing the younger people and the people of South Africa who are protesting, whether it was Cusato, United Democratic France, Soweto. I mean, the youth were, were protesting everywhere. And this is, this is what they do. And the other thing about the whole question about the borders, this is also very interesting because now the United States is claiming that it actually has sovereign borders here against <laughs> undocumented people who are in the indigenous uh, owners of the land, the indigenous inhabitants of the land. And this is the same thing that Israel is doing, is that we are going to prevent people from coming and attacking us. And you are the ones who came, you're the ones who settled, you're the ones who came and colonized and, and uh, tried to demolish the, 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 the people who, the indigenous population who were there. And now you are actually even saying, continuing, instead of saying we did something wrong, we really need to change things, we need to pay reparations, we need to restore to, to, to restore in order for us to actually be human. What they are saying, we're going to continue oppressing, we're going to continue fighting, but we always know that no matter how, empires fall and might is not right. At the end of the day, people who are fighting for their rights end up gaining their rights at the end. And this is what the great march of return and the Palestinian right. resistance has shown, is that Palestinians are not going to forget, no matter what, Netanyahu tries to, de to, de to distract from his scandals and from the fact that he's going, he might end up in prison by attacking Iran illegitimately and, 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 and in, in, a, in a very Syria. in attacking Syria and bombing attacking and so Gaza. on. Attacking, I mean, the, all of this stuff is sort of a smoke screen to right. cover up. He and, and Trump both need wars. They need wars to cover up their crimes and cover up the crisis they're in. But at the same time, they keep saying that, and the people are saying, we're not going to forget. And then the media says, oh, Palestine is not really that important. They told us before Trump announced the, the, the Jerusalem, the move of the and U.S. embassy. Right? But but what, what what did people say? Did anybody did anybody around the world forget today Jeremy Corbyn, the, 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 the Labour the Party representative who's actually, hopefully, he will be able to win the elections in Britain, and demanded arms, asked for about arms embargo on Israel. Uh, the, min, the mayor of Barcelona is saying Israel is war criminals. The whole world is, is, is protesting and then South Africa recalled its ambassador and said we're not going to be staying, we're not going to keep our ambassador there. The whole world is saying this is not okay. And now we're not talking only about grassroots level because historically Palestinians, the people of the world have always been That's right. supporting the Palest Palestinians and the people in the US are supporting. But now we're talking even on official level yes. that the crimes are so horrified that the United Nations Human Rights Council is calling for emergency. People everywhere are talking about what Israel is doing because it is just... Canada also condemned yeah. the killings except for the United States and except at the United Nations with, uh, Nikki, is, Haley. with, with Nikki Haley. So I yeah. want, uh, want us to listen to a soundbite uh, from Nikki Haley about the justifications. And by yes. the way, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, and we're at 89.5 FM. We have Professor Rabab Abdelhadi in studio with us. This is our Nekba catastrophe. On your border. That's Nikki Haley. No, one would. no country in this chamber would act with more restraint than Israel has. In fact, the records of several countries here today suggest they would be much less restrained. Those who suggest that the Gaza violence has anything to do with the location of the American embassy are sorely mistaken. Maybe she is living on La La Land. 
She's living on some land. It might be Trump land. But, uh, Rabab, I want you to really make sure that our listeners understand that there has been, from 1948 to today, an unbroken line of colonial apartheid processes that have worked diligently, both uh, militarily, politically, and economically, to ethnically cleanse Palestinians from Palestinian land. It's really an unbroken line yeah. for 70 years, yeah, right? It's seamless and it, it, it doesn't stop. So I talked about the, the 48 areas in the sense that uh, they, they, they Israel, Israel placed a military curfew on the population from 66 to, from 48 to 66. There is until now the, the, the communities in Nakab continue to be, to be, to be suffering as a result of more land being taken away, more and more. And, and of more course land the settlements. To like, and then you're talking about the colonies, both, by the way, in the Nakab, in the Galilee, That's and right. in the West Bank. We know that uh, the, the, the colonies in Gaza were evacuated in 2005. And actually part of that agreement, they were supposed to leave the buildings and the orchard and everything and they destroyed everything it's sort of scorched land policy it's it's a uh, it's it's um and is, uh, Israel Israel claims that they made the desert bloom. Of course, we know this is not true because it's in the Bible, in the Torah, in the Quran that they talk about figs and the olives and and the grapes and so on. If they were, if that was, if they made the desert bloom, how come people uh, thousands of years ago have been able to grow all these uh, fruits and all these you know, uh, makings of life, right. right? And so, but but uh, but they are trying to destroy all these all, and take over more and more and more lands wherever you're talking. But and, and 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 so they even destroyed when they left when the, when they had to ev- get evacuated from Gaza the, the the colonists the settlers they destroyed everything they did not even leave anything in its place they destroyed life and they continue to do that in the in the Galilee it is and when we were talking to people the of the, the the internally displaced people they went and they destroyed the olive trees and they placed pine they they grew pine in its place and that's not really where the natural habitat I mean if you talk about even environmental they're melted, degradating. If you're talking about the way the settlement is sucking up the water from the Palestinian aquifers when there is not enough water to drink, sometimes people have to boil sewage water. And this is the Gaza. I mean, you, you're, this is part of your research, right. Jess. And the way in which there isn't drinking water and so on, it is continuous degradations, continuous theft of land. It's continuous, uh, continuous systematic. So it is not actually incidental. It's not isolated. No. It is it's not aberration. It is something that is continuing every single day just like the project of white supremacists in the United States and the co- project of colonization to Kandu and what they did in, with, with the Standing Rock and the, the indigenous people who were fighting for water protectors and everywhere else they want to destroy any kind of traces of land so they they, they take over the land they kill people and they and they create massacres to scare other people. They force people at the barrel of the gun. And Ilan Pape in his book, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine, as well as other new Israeli historians have actually documented, opening up the archives and basically su- substantiated the Palestinian narrative for a very long time because when you when colonized people are usually not believed until, especially in, colonize, in colonizing spaces, until you hear what the colonists say and then members of the colonists who actually have conscience, like Pape, like other Israeli in New Israel, 
Israeli historian said, this is the, what the Palestinians have been saying all along is true. Here, what it is. And actually, what we're discovering is even worse, worse. than what the, Palestinians, the Palestinians have been even sanitizing their discourse. So they continue to destroy the, the people, destroy the land, destroy the people, destroy the environment, degrade the environment, and also destroy the culture and the tales and the, and the, and the history. And everywhere you go, wherever you go in Palestine, when there is no village, you see there is the cactus, right? Because the That's cactus right. is a proof that there is a village. But the thing is, is that until today, and I've, I've done a lot of uh, uh, research and interviews with Palestinians, especially in the Shatila, refugee camp, in other places in Lebanon, but mostly in Shatila. That's where I, I interviewed 55 survivors of the massacre but I also interviewed children as as I was going and I became you know friends with many people who are in the camp and the children who are maybe third or fourth generation they still you ask them where you from they say I'm from Safuria that's right a village from which their great grandfather they've never seen it they don't know what, what it is but they know exactly where it is they know where it is on the map they will point it out to you and this is the people who are not going to be displaced no matter what uh, all these all these attempts by the colonial by the colonists to continue to try to displace and erase and change the names of the villages, change the name of the streets, uh, Hebrewize everything. It, it's, it, it's not going to work. It's well, not the biggest battle, of course, now is going on in and around Jerusalem. That's right, yes. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk uh, later on about the Trump's decision to mm -hmm. recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But uh, since 1967, of course, 1948, there was a major ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in what is called West Jerusalem, neighborhoods mm. like mm. Al-Qatamon, mm. Talbi, and so forth. They were totally ethnically cleansed. In 1967, Palestinians in Jerusalem refused to leave. Mm. So therefore, they came up with this whole concept of the 30 70%, 30%, yes. 70%. They want to keep the population of Palestinians no more than 30%. Mm. And, yes. the, and that's why this what kind of launched all the uh, settlements mm -hmm. uh, inside Jerusalem and around Jerusalem, but they have been failing at it because yeah. now the population of Jerusalemites is about 40-some percent, and in a few years, they will exceed the 50 percent. Yeah, I want to actually uh, speak about also the whole question of the the, tra the attempt to displace the population and also take over the land. So in Jerusalem, at least, well, first we know from the from before 1940, from between 47, between the partition decision on November 29, 1947, and the creation of Israel on May 15, 1948, which is the Nakba, 70th anniversary of Nakba. Actually, the, the, the Zionist militias, the Balmach and the Haganah, not only the most what are constructed, the crazy, the Stern and Estel and Lihi, but actually also the official ones that became the Israeli army yes. after 1948, the Balmach and then actually went and conducted the massacres. When we when we hear about the Yassin, people only talk about the human cost of the massacre. And this is really huge, the people who were massacred. And we were, we were just at al Auda conference in LA, and one of the survivors of the massacre, Am Uthman Aqil, uh, he was seven years old, and he recounted what has happened. But it wasn't only the human cost, and uh, people do not un do not connect sometimes with what the Zionist plans were. They, the, the Zionist plans were to secure the Yafa, uh, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem Road. So they went around and massacring Babel Wad. But also there is many neighborhoods in Jerusalem like Ain Karim, mm -hmm. Malha. They destroyed right. all these and some of the places the mosque became a, 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 a restaurant or a disco 
Mexico. But also, if you think about what happened with, you said, Talbiya. Talbiya is, is this neighborhood where Edward Said had a home. Right. And it's very interesting. We're talking about the way they erase the names. So in the past... And we went last time, to, in 2014, we went with uh, Khazandar, whose family was buried in Mamilla, in Ma Manila um, um, Cemetery, which was your family, the Janis and Husseinis, and the, the family the fam in Jerusalem are buried there, right? And so we were, we were talking with him, and he took us to Talbiya, which is now called Talibut, okay? And he said, or she showed us, this is where the house of Edward Said used to be. He said, at one point, Israel had a, a marker outside the home, said, this is the home of Edward Said. Then people will come, a lot of people will come, including tourists, and will take pictures. So now they removed it. So you do not know where the house is anymore to erase any kind of connections because people internationally know who Edward Said is. Absolutely. So they want to go and visit the home of this international, late international scholar. Now, this is the other thing. Come on, Khalil Sakakim yeah, is also everywhere. There. But you know, this is very interesting. So when we were in Lid, last time, when in 2014 or 2011, we were in Lid and people showed us where the home of George Habash was. This time, we asked uh, one school teacher, uh, Ustaz Yusuf Asfour, who was taking us around. Showing, I said, can you just show them where it is? And then we go, there is no home. They destroyed the home oh, no. because a lot of people, including Israelis, because if you remember in the 80s, after uh, Israel acknowledged that they had conducted the massacre of Lid, an Israeli woman who lived in George Habash house wrote him a letter saying, I'm really sorry that we're taking over your house. And so they destroyed the house. So there isn't even a sign. And the only way people know, and this is the same thing. Every single place they go, Mamila, what they do in Mamila is not only that destroyed all the sh shawahid, which is the headstones, they got rid of all the headstones, so you don't even know who is buried where. And the families would come at night. Then they started dumping this, uh, this, uh, um, this material, some kind of uh, um, like um, um, predator. Um, grass or something that basically grows. So at night, the families come and they clean in the morning, but it expands so fast and then they do military zone. There's, the army stands there. So people cannot even come to clean. So it allows the growth and every single way, wherever you go, this even, even the sites of the graves. Just and commenting yeah, quickly yeah, on yeah. Mamela mm. because I've actually, every time I go and, and check on the, our ancestors' graves there, but in a very insulting and, and ironic way, the center, the Simon Wiesenthal yeah. Center is building a museum of tolerance. Imagine. On, on the graves of Palestinians. And, and not only on the graves of Palestinians. If you go to Mamela up till at least l last year when I was there, there is a big corrugated building, metal, yeah. mm. metal building, where they've been removing skeletons. The bones. And the bones. bones and, and storing them there to move them somewhere else. I mean, imagine mm. when you hear around the news, the secretion of, uh, mm. of burial a, grounds. Of a burial, burial grounds. Yeah. Any community, mm. Jewish community, Christian community, and these, they're doing it in broad daylight, moving these uh, with the exception of the major the center where actually Sheikh Ahmed Dijani, who is the founder of the mm. family, is buried and he has a mausoleum yeah. that the families, the Dijanis, the Husseins and others managed to stop them from basically destroying. Unbelievable. And this is what colonists have done everywhere. They've and done it in South Africa. They do it here. I mean, everywhere. everywhere. It's all built on the graves, on the bones, on literally on the bones of people who were the indigenous inhabitants and of the I want to take it to the next level, Rabab, because... I want to talk about the appropriation of language. Yes. 
and the structuring of language mm-hmm. in describing Palestine. Can I just say one more thing sure. about Jerusalem because sure. it brings it back to San Francisco? Yeah. Because uh, the 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 one of the people who is actually at the helm of trying to remove the Palestinians of Jerusalem is the racist mayor near Barkat, who uh, was hosted here in San Francisco on in April 2016, uh, had came to do a private uh, fundraiser for APAC, for American Israel Public Affairs Committee, and then uh, San Francisco Hillel and the SFSU Hillel hosted him on campus, brought him to campus, and there was a protest, and then student protest, and then President Wong, our president of our university, actually issued him uh, about apology, assuming he didn't know who he was, after he heard what he was, he issued him and re-invited him back to campus. So this is kind of like also the connections when people think that things are so far away and they they're don't consider that actually the whole question of removal of, 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 of bones, the whole question of police brutality, the question of the border and Ann Coulter, all of this stuff, it's all connected, the whole question of restraint and we hear that in Ferguson, in Baltimore, in Cleveland, when, when there were all the protests by the movement for black lives. I mean, it continues every single day and every time they say, oh, the authorities are exercising restraint. How many people do you have to kill in order for you to move the threshold, the qualitative threshold from uh, uh, um, oh, this is restraint to um, um, a question of a massacre. 60 people per day is not enough to actually well, think well, that as a massacre? You, you said, we talked earlier about the international support outside this country right. and all these countries uh, that basically condemned Israel and also the issue of I want to go to the issue of the Jerusalem and the moving the embassy mm-hmm. yes uh, and all the other countries that refused with the exception I think yesterday Guatemala Guatemala mm-hmm. I mean maybe Micronesia will have an embassy there you know those con- the same countries that voted uh, you know, with the United States at the United Nations because Security. of the pressure and the coercion of the you know, US. Yeah. So, yeah. so this move, I mean, in this era, even though I mean, Jerusalem is so important, of course, but so is entire Palestine, right? That's right. But this move has uh, major repercussions. What do you think this is going to lead to? Well, I think, uh, as many Palestinians have said both when we were there and all and since the decision and before the december 6 uh, declaration and after that is that there is multiple things one is that it's an insult to to move the embassy period first to actually move it to occupy it's a, it's a colonized palestinian land it's not a no man's land they say arnona is a no man's land it's not no well, man's. it's not no there's man's lots land. of it's palestinian land yeah Two is that it is actually. Uh, by the way, yeah. it belongs to the uh, the Jews, Jerusalemite family, the Fitiani family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it has it, owners. It, it is. It has so, owners. So it has. It belongs US to people. The U.S. embassy in Jerusalem yeah. is on stolen Palestinian land. land. And just it's, to be and clear. It, and it is. It is a colony. It's a. It's a settlement. Okay. So that's one thing. The second thing is that it is. It is the. It is. It shows where the U.S. historically many of us did not believe. That uh, the that we did not believe that the U.S. was neutral or an honest broker. We always felt that the U.S. was actually well. This outed it. Yeah. So this this made it more more obvious for people who may have doubts. Okay. 
and it exposes what they are doing. It basically co- increases the colonization of Jerusalem. It strengthens the hand of Israel, gives it really impunity. And what they are doing in Gaza, when 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 the U.S. uses continues to use the veto, when the U.S. continues to prevent, and the U.S. actually eagerly goes and and and, and defies international law. Actually, if the U.S. wants to talk about international, the U.N. partition plan has a whole section about I don't know four or five pages or more about uh, in Jerusalem. Last I checked was in November when we were marking the 70th anniversary of the partition. And there is, and it actually talks about Jerusalem being an international city. Jerusalem is important to all the religions. The Jerusalem, but the ways in which Israel has actually been changing the the, the the geography of Israel on the ground, on Jerusalem on the ground, and the way in which the U.S. is coming to actually support that, and by moving its embassy and so on, it shows it leaves no doubt that there is where it is. But and 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 they are they are they are actually also in. in encouraging more Israeli Zionization of Jerusalem because we, if we know about what's happening with Sheikh Jarrah, if we know what's happening in multiple neighborhoods, Shu'afat, everywhere, there is more and more and Ma'ale Adumim, Levi Eshkol neighborhood, everything is, is keeps saying this is greater Jerusalem. It keeps, it's like, it's almost as, as big as the size of the West Bank now. Yes. And they keep expanding and expanding and expanding and reducing the, the, the areas available for Palestinians to squeeze the Palestinians in, to make their livelihood impossible, to create more settlements inside the old city of Jerusalem. When you're going around, how they steal and then how they come and they take over the land, terrorize people. I mean, you see it. You go around, the police presence, the military presence, it is suffocating to be in Jerusalem, the city of peace. That's supposed to be the city of peace. It's it's uh, it it is it uh, for for people not being able to go pray in the Aqsa Mosque. The ways in which they build the apartheid wall, where you cannot actually come and go to Jerusalem. And I grew up on, um, under occupation, so I I know how it how it changes, and it, it's like a dagger in your heart when you're working around and you're seeing what. So they continue to do that, but also one of the signals that the U.S. is doing is that it telling Israel you can do. Whatever, whatever you, want, you want, whatever you want, go ahead, massacre Palestinians, and we, we are going back. to have your back. Exactly. Right. Uh, the, 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 again, again, I think it's really important to keep emphasizing that people are not giving up. Well, and I that, wanted to ask yeah, you. Go ahead. Yeah. What about because we've been talking about the unbroken chain of mm. colonial apartheid right. processes, but talk about the unbreaking chain of resistance. Yes. And resilience. Yes. Because that's a big topic of, of your research. Yes. And we don't talk about it as much yes, because, because there has been yeah. resistance mm-hmm. from always nineteen eighteen always <laughs> up always, until yeah. now. So could you? And I would just say I, I'll say a couple of things because we want to. We, we I think we have tons of topics right yes. to, to, to cover. So I think first is that I think we 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 need to at least according to my own work and my own argument is that uh, as long. The minute Palestinians realized that this was not, that the Zionist immigrations to Palestine was not people just seeking refuge. It was not people seeking refuge from the pogroms and anti-Semitism in Eastern Europe, but actually was an organized and systemic movement to colonize and settle instead and replace it the Palestinians. following in the footsteps yeah. of colonial right. Europe. The, exactly, exactly as other colonialism, but this was a very determined to di- dis- di- displace and replace. It's There is colonial, classical colonialism that goes and pillages and takes the raw materials and sets up systems and so on and so forth, and then they continue uh, controlling from the heart of the empire, and then they send and they have a few uh, local collaborators and so on, but they this have... This was a, different. Uh, this, is, this is settler colonialism is different than classical colonialism. Yeah. 
and this is something that we also see in Algeria, we see in South Africa, we see throughout the Americas, we see in Puerto Rico, in Hawaii, in certain places, there is a specific flavor to settler colonialism that's a little bit different. Once Palestinians realize they actually have been resistant, and we have documented resistances, I'm not inventing something from my head, this is something we know from the time Balfour Declaration was the first organ uh, demonstration, actually petition organized by women in Palestine, in Jerusalem, which also defies the colonialist uh, uh, um, uh, orientalist uh, um, notion that actually says that Palestinian women do not speak up for themselves, do not organize for themselves and so on. And we have the history with that. Two, you're talking about the 1936-39 revolt. And actually when we were in Akka this year, we were fortunate. It's the first time we were able to visit the graves of the three uh, leaders, Muhammad uh, Jamjum, Muhammad Muhammad Jamjum, Muhammad Atta, the three who were uh, hanged wow. by the British in 1930 on the uh, Red wow. Tuesday. And so we were going to get to, to Akka and the people who were with us, uh, Muhammad Kayal and Juhayna, uh, the Palestinians, they said, oh, and so can we go and at least, you know, it was, and the, what happened is that this is the old graves, but actually the people of Akka built new graves and they put the whole map of Palestine in wow. there. And we have the, it's, it's uh, even the consciousness, and this is why I'm saying this is that the, even the consciousness of how do we think about that and any attempts at collective, at reinstating collective amnesia to forget about all of Palestine and to forget about the 48 areas and to forget about different parts and accept the colonial project of segmenting Palestine into four parts. There is Jerusalem, there is Gaza, there is the West Bank, there is refugees and there is the 48 actually are failing because people are coming together and I think this is, so there has been continued resistance and through the 30s, through the 40s, from we we have all the narratives from 48 and from six from 48 all the way to, to 67 and then from 67 where you talk about it but we can periodize it according to the ways in That's which right. the periods when when colonialism got reinforced but we also can think about it differently because some of the things don't line up in the sense of what happened in the 50s with the students organizing at various universities with the people inside uh, the 48 areas al art the people who were trying to come back and forth which are actually memorialized in Elias Khouri's uh, book or right. Uh, the 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 Babi Shams uh, right. Gate of the Sun. I mean, all of this stuff, all of it is available. And I think one of the things that, one of I think the beauties of Palestine studies, which is not so different than other uh, colonialism and resistance studies, but to actually see where people are at and to be able to get this knowledge and make it available to our young people, to our to our to our allies, to our comrades, to our sisters and brothers and our and other circles, and they do the same with us. So we are learning from other struggles, but we are also teaching, and this is the whole question of the critical aspect of knowledge production and really teaching Palestine. So this has continued all the time. It continued in Gaza, it continued until today and every single time, I think the morale is every single time the colonists come and say we've subdued them it, We've said everything is hunky-dory. Everything works. is okay. And uh, Oslo happens in 93. I was there when the 50th anniversary of Nukba uh, happened. And they were saying, oh, the Palestinians are going to forget. And then we had everybody, the slogan was, so we will not forget. Hatta la nansa. <laughs> and then, and, and now with the 70th anniversary, not the 50th, not the 10th, not the 20th, the 70th anniversary, which means a lot of our elders are actually have passed on. They right. are no longer there. But their roots remain not only in the land, but they remain in our mind 
minds and our hearts and our brains. And this is, I think, it's really, really important. And I'm not talking about that as a rallying cry and mobilizing cry for organizing, although I don't have a problem with that. And I believe we should be advocates for justice. But it's also in terms of knowledge, in terms of teaching, in terms of scholarship. How do we think about what sort of narrative do we tell? Do we tell a narrative of defeat, submission, and subjugation, which is the colonists want and which is the stories in the New York well, Times? Or are on, we telling on, a narrative on, of resistance? On that exactly. note, I have 10 things that Palestinians must do okay. on my list to satisfy Please, Israel ahead. and its surrogates in the United States just in order to survive, yes. So, one, do not resist the occupation. That's what they Two, do not demonstrate. Three, do not ask for equal rights. Four, embrace apartheid. Five, Gaza is not a large open prison. Don't complain. Six, the wall is for your own good. Don't cross it. Seven, repeat after me. Israel is the most democratic country in the Middle East. <laughs> Eight, repeat, Israel has the most moral army in the world. Nine, accept that what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. That's Israel, basically. Mm -hmm. And then finally, love them and say thank you. This is, this is what... Israel. Be grateful that and you be, are be being grateful. that we're and being no, oppressed. Be, be grateful that you are being occupied yes. and you are being colonized. Yes. I mean that's and that's which is internalized colonialism. Exactly, yeah. and that 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 reflects the nature of the discourse that you hear from the White House and from Tel Aviv about what's happening in Gaza because Gaza brings us up seventy years of awesome, profound, deep resistance. But that's what project. the U.S. said to Vietnam. That's what the French said to Algeria. That's what the apartheid regime said to the people in South Africa. That's what every single day people are telling us who protest against white supremacy and in Standing Rock and, and in the streets of Auckland. They keep saying on people who are protesting against gentrification, they say, you know, you should really be grateful what you have. And if you if you protest, that's you're complaining too much. You're nagging. You're nagging. You're complaining too much. Why don't you just get on with it, accept it and move on? And we say, yeah, when the right is restored, we will be able to move on. We cannot move on on the basis of injustice. We have a few minutes left. I want you to talk a little bit about uh, linking this resistance and in fact what I say existence is also resistance. That's right. And also the Zionist attempts to basically silence uh, Palestinian academics and what's happening right here in San, at San Francisco State University and in the Bay Area. Well, I would just say that all we're talking about, it's about basically resuscitating and uh, uh, and making, again, making the Zionist discourse uh, look as if it's a good discourse instead of it right. being sanitizing a colonial, it. sanitizing it, instead of being colonial, racist, uh, oppressive, genocidal discourse, make it something that is acceptable to everybody. It's just one of the ideas that people have. And what at San Francisco State, as we talked about before, the president of the university declared that Zionists are welcome in his attempt to satisfy donors and to engage in the engaging the neoliberal university and in terms of actually engaging in more lack of transparency and lack of accountability. I protested that and I, st I stood against it and I said we really need to reclaim our social justice mission as a university and also it's an insult to our Jewish sisters and brothers who refuse to allow the Zionists to own Jewishness because they That's speak right. against against Zionism and nobody they cannot they don't want Israel to speak in their name. The attack has been has increased more and more and more. We now know that there is a whole bunch of groups in San Francisco who also hosted the killer Ahud Barak, who was actually the head of the assassination squad of Palestinian intellectuals. 
Palestinian right. intellectuals. He was one of the people who was the head of this. The, 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 he the, was the, on KQED the today. Mitkel, yeah, and, and, and he's the one who, he was, he was the squad who killed Ghassan Kanafani, Kamal Udwan, Kamal Nasser, Abu Yusuf al-Najjar, Majid Abu Sharar. And he's also, actually, BBC said in their investigation that he was also part of the, uh, uh, the group that assassinated Abu Jihad on April 16, 1988, the Palestinian leader. And so this is something that they actually, they celebrate. They celebrate murder and death. But this is something that all oppressive powers have done before. And they continue to do that. And they think people don't have long memories. And they think people, they can coerce people. And they can strong arm it. They're not going to silence us. This is our job is to produce knowledge for justice. We are going to continue to do that in the Ahmed Studies Program, the Arab and Muslim Ethnicities and Diasporas Program at San Francisco State. We're going to continue to speak truth to power. It's we are going to... to get rid of us. It's not easy. It's not... And we will and continue. We'll continue to draw on the spirit of 68. Our sisters and brothers, our comrades who struggled in 1968 to decolonize the curriculum, and we continue to decolonize the curriculum today and to claim our universities as spaces for social justice. And that's the voice of Professor Rabab Abdelhadi, professor at San Francisco State and founder and director of the Ahmed program. Rabab, always an honor. Thank you. Always Bye. an honor to have you, and I'm sure we'll be having you back. Make sure you listen to us at www.arabtalkradio.com, at Twitter, at Arab Talk, at Facebook, at Jamal Dejani 2, and also on SoundCloud. We'll see you next week. Yeah,